Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Song is on on The Viewpoint.
Jammu Africa by Ishmael Lowe. We've reached the segment being the African narrative. And the question for this evening is, or the discussion rather, will will colonizers ever leave Africa? And more to tell us about that is Dr. Mustafa Mehta, head of the Africa Desk at the Media Review Network. Good evening, Dr. Mehta. How do you do this evening? Dr. Mehta is unfortunately on hold, but unfortunately we cannot make the connection with him. Just briefly, the context of this discussion is Libya is on fire and if every conversation that we hear, colonial influence is at the root of the unrest. When you take a closer look at most of the problems that Africa faces, one sees the ghost or hidden hand of colonial imperialists in one form or the other. You can talk about Sudan, Algeria, Libya, Boko Haram in Nigeria, the terror threat in Cabo Delgado province in northern Mozambique. And right through, you can even mention the Chinese in this conversation and context. And can you ever leave out the United States of America? Why is it that instability on our continent seems to be concentrated in highly resourced areas? What lessons can be learned by Africa in terms of what's happening in Libya and the rest of the continent. We have to have your views. Do give us a call on 0891-104-207. My name is Songa Zamabete, and this is The Viewpoint African Narrative. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. It's the African narrative with me, Songa Zumabek, that we're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. Voice notes, 0614-104-107. Will colonizers ever leave Africa? On the focal point earlier this afternoon, my dear mother and colleague, Masachabam Dolo, spoke to Isaac Khomo from the Channel Africa about why Libya is burning. A lot was said about interference from colonial masters and how the mineral-rich countries are always victims. It's a four-minute clip. Stay tuned. Libya's rival forces are intensifying their fight for control of Tripoli and troops loyal to the UN-backed government in the capital are trying to stop the advance of the strongman Khalifa Haftar. Ndate Isakhomo is back with us again today. He's a presenter and producer of Spotlight Africa on Channel Africa. Where does France fit in um, together with the UAE? <laughs> that's a very good question, and that's the gist of the whole thing. Well, France fits in. France is actually near colonial uh, interest. It is the France, it's France and Italy, and they are looking after the interests of the EU. It will be remembered that uh, the countries which, the NATO countries which actually fought against, um, against Gaddafi, they were led by France, the uh, Italy, the NATO countries, and also the USA. But uh, France has got a very big interest. The Italy has got a very big interest in the gas. There's a gas pipeline which goes to Italy, and think they want to actually have uh, the new Libyan government under their wing. There's also the interests, the oil interests of France that they are trying to protect here. Well, not trying to protect; they're trying to capture it. You should remember ah. that uh, the uh, Libyan oil. It used to belong to the Libyans. It was never actually sort of, it, was, it did not belong to the Seven Sisters. The Libyan, the country which had uh, interest in Libyan oil in the 60s, it was BP. But when Gaddafi took over in 69, he nationalized the oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now they want to actually open up the oil just as they took over the Iraqi oil. Now the Iraqi oil is in the hands of the American companies. Now the French, they want to come in and take over the Libyan oil, and that will be the cheapest oil because the France and Libya, they're just next to each other. Now the interest of the UAE, now that is another very important thing that people should actually look into. Um, the Khalifa Haftar, basically he's being supported 
by Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. the United Arab Emirates, mm-hmm. and a country which has been captured by the, these two Gulf countries, which is Egypt. Mm-hmm. Egypt was forced to actually align themselves with Saudi Arabia after the Americans withdrew the funding that they used to give to, 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 to Egypt uh, of one billion U.S. dollars per annum. Now they get most of their support from the Saudis. Mm-hmm. Now within the Saudi Arabian, uh, within the Gulf countries, you find that the GCC countries, there's a split. This is between the, the Saudi Arabia, UAE on one side, and there is Qatar on the other side. As you can see, that Saudi Arabia has got sanctions against Qatar. But Qatar has been assisted by Turkey. Now, Turkey and uh, Turkey, Qatar, and Iran, they're almost one block. But Turkey, again, you've not mentioned Turkey, but I'm bringing him in. Mm, mm. Turkey has got a very strong interest in Libya. Turkey was the former colonial master of Libya, in fact, of North Africa, in fact, of the Middle East, Mm -hmm. right up to the Second World War. But Turkey lost control of Libya in 1911. Yeah, when Italy actually sort of invaded Libya and actually defeated the Turks. In fact, it's an irony that uh, 100 years after 1911, in 2011, Libya was again attacked by the Europeans. So Turkey wants to reestablish itself not only in Libya but in Africa, where you find that Turkey, together with Qatar, they've got the same interest in the Gulf, in the Red Sea area, and also in the... Horn of Africa. So you find that external forces, they're actually moving into Africa, trying to control Africa. And this has actually moved into Sudan too. And you've got Russia as well at play here as well. Well, they say Russia is at play because they are playing a background role in the sense that they're opposing the EU-French connection, which is supporting the Western government. Yeah, Dr. Mustafa Mehta, good evening. You heard all of that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Thank you very much, my brother. Very disconcerting for an African, must be. Yeah, it is indeed. It is indeed. Yeah, but uh, what I would add here is, uh, like what my brother has, you know, uh, uh, contributed. Yeah. Is uh, uh, looking at the pattern of uh, uh, these instabilities in these, you know, countries. One sees as a direct you know, a, a manifestation of their, you know, the, 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 the colonial past. Yes. Now, in the first place, uh, colonialism stole the land from the indigenous people of this country. Secondly, colonialization uh, was all about looting the resources of the people. Yes. While there will never be again another wave of colonization as that which happened in the past. Mm. The recolonization project has taken a new twist. It is being aided and abetted by puppet rulers who have been placed there by their colonial masters. Now, many of the problems that Africa faces lie squarely on the shoulders of the colonialists and their anointed puppet leaders. Mm -hmm. One cannot ignore the role of Africom, USA troops on the continent. Okay? Yes. After 9-11, the United States has speeded up the deployment of its troops on the continent in the name of fighting terrorism. The Russians are currently negotiating with Sudan to open their first African military base on the Red Sea. 
the Chinese have already established their military base in Djibouti. However, right there by Somalia. Look, after a closer look at the situation on the ground in those so-called hotspots, one sees that there are a lot of resources concentrated in those areas. One, oil, uranium, LNG gas, etc. And what China now, is doing in the Congo. Exactly, exactly. We can, we can, we can go one by one and you see that Absolutely. it links up to that. Yes. Now, this seems to be the main motivation of this so-called war on terror or, you know, the instabilities that we're seeing in North Africa currently. Let's have a conversation because that, that, that is a nice entry point to try and almost immediately establish what in the latter day would be the basis of their renewed interest in Africa. Whereas then it was blatant, sheer military overpowering of the indigenous communities for literally taking their land with that their resources. We achieved what we, let's call it independence for what it is worth, but to that extent equally there was nothing independent if you look at what now seems to be happening. First question about all of this. Let's lament firstly, before we get to the colonial masters anew, the lack of African leadership, unity and direction in mitigating what our forefathers were not able to. The current crop of leadership and even just before the current crop of leadership, they have been complacent, if not complicit, in what is now befalling Africa. Um, one weakness that African leaders have and which we seem to have been, you know, uh, 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 which seems to have been, you know, uh, 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 exploited by the major powers in their quest for wrapping Africa's resources, is that of entitlement. Many of our leaders feel entitled to rule. Instead of providing, providing a servant leadership, they expect people to feel forever indebted and grateful to them. They suffer from the we are your liberators syndrome. Therefore, leave us to do what we want with the country's resources and have no say in that. Last week, I had a guest in Advocate Dalimbofu, who's the chairperson of a political party in this country. And he mentioned the fact that in, in referring to the works of Franz Fanon, and I must say I hadn't read that particular piece, but he mentions the fact that the greatest mistake or the greatest trend that has been picked up by historians over time, particularly political um, historians, is how liberation movements have in many respects done precisely what it was that they overthrew in the colonial or apartheid master, their fallen trap for the trappings of being accessible or, or of resources being accessible to them and have repeated those cycles that continue the bondage of people. What is that attributed to? Why does it happen? Why can't liberation movements morph into being champions in the true sense of development of the people to whom they are accountable. To be honest with you, this is a very uh, a, a big question that we're facing now on the continent. And uh, we thought in the beginning that, you know, it will go away. But we're seeing that pattern, you know, uh, 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 even you know, getting worse. For instance, look at uh, the African Union. It is silent on what is going on in Libya. 
And if we talk of the silent, uh, I mean, the, the, the African Union, you are talking, we are talking of our leaders, because they, they constitute the African Union. They go there and talk, okay? Um, uh, um, on most issues, they are the last to speak. Why that complacency? Why that silence? Now, if we look deeper, we begin to see that, you know, this is a club of people who are compromised, people who actually think that uh, uh, they, 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 they are subservient you know, to, to, to foreign powers. Because even if you look at, 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 at it, most of them are, are, are put in power by these, you know, or supported somehow uh, by these, you know, powers for some strategic uh, 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 economic reasons or resource yes. in a particular country, you know. So they, 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 they are there, you know, the hand of neocolonialism uh, our former colonizers, when they left Africa, it remained. And I'm, I, I would argue that it remained in the form of the leaders to come. We're in conversation with Dr. Mustafa Mehta, head of the Africa Desk at the Media Review Network. We're having a conversation here on the African Narrative on SAFM, leading the conversations about colonization and how its tentacles and its roots seem to have Africa gripped and entrenched, if not more then, certainly increasingly to dangerous levels of recolonization in the 21st century. Stay tuned. This is Song of Zimabegze on The Viewpoint. Nothing conventional on The Viewpoint. Indeed, nothing conventional on the viewpoint. We're having a conversation with Dr. Mustafa Mehta, head of the Africa Desk at the Media Review Network. And if that is anything to go about, it's possible that we might have lost Dr. Mustafa Mehta. We're going to try and get back to him. But we're taking your calls nonetheless on SAFM Viewpoint, leading the conversation with Mingi Songas on my back on 891 And perhaps this is probably... Not necessarily a good thing, but it's actually an opportunity for us to actually get expressions and views and perspectives from the people who are most affected by the recolonization project of Africa. Tell us what your thoughts are. I am taking your calls, and we have got only 15 minutes left. 0891-104-207. Guest, Dr. Mustafa Mheta, head of Africa Desk at Media Review Network, talking to us specifically about, well, in the last bit, we were talking about the African leadership context. But let's just look at the case of Libya and it, it is probably one of the most gruesome examples of what is currently taking place, the recolonization of Africa. It is probably the most brutal of its kind in this, the 21st century, given the fact that Libya was such a success story, not to say it didn't have its problems like every other country that is registered with the United Nations does, but Libya, for most accounts, are far worse off now than they might have been this time 10 years ago under Gaddafi. Yes, the, 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 the story of Libya is one sad story. Remember, let me state this in, in, in the beginning. In 1969, you know, Keno Gaddafi inherited one of the poorest nations in Africa. However, by the time he was assassinated, Gaddafi had turned Libya into Africa's wealthiest nation. Libya had the highest GDP per capita and life expectancy on the continent. Less people lived below the poverty line than the Netherlands. After NATO's intervention in 2011, 
Libya now is a failed state and its economy is in shambles. As the governments control slips through their fingers, the so-called democratic government that is there now, uh, and, 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 and into the hands you know, of the militia fighters, oil production has all, all but stopped. Militias variously, you're talking of local, tribal, regional, Islamists, or criminals, that have plagued Libya since NATO's interventions, have recently lined up into two warring factions. Libya now has two governments, both with their own prime ministers, parliament, and an army. Now, on one side, in the west of the country, the Islamist allied militia took over control of the capital Tripoli. And on the other you know, side, uh, in the east of the country, the legitimate government dominated by anti-Islamist, you know, politicians exiled uh, 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 1,200 kilometers away in Tobruk, no longer governs anything. So the fall of Gaddafi's administration has created all the country's worst-case scenarios. Yeah. Western embassy have all left. The south of the country has become a haven for terrorists. And the northern coast, a center of migrant trafficking. We all know what is happening there. Egypt, Algeria, and Tunisia have all closed their borders with Libya. This all occurs amidst a backdrop of widespread rape, assassinations, and torture that complete the picture of a state that is failed to the bone. Led by okay. the United States Army, led by NATO. Hold on to these thoughts. We've got Safudi in Ranfontein who wants to contribute. Safudi? I'm your guest. Hello. You know, my man, there's issues that we tend to ignore. It's the Arabization and the Islamization of Africa. And you know, we only focus on, on the Anglicization of this continent. And let me tell you, the Arabs took this country by this continent by the sword. How do they expect to have peace going forward? Because the Arabs, the English, the Europeans are also colonizers. These Arabs are also enslavers. Go to Tunisia. Africans are still being killed. What are the African leaders saying? Evening to you. Sefudi, thank you so much for your call. Mtogozisi in Eshowe, KZN. Hello, Mtogozisi, you're on air. Welcome to SFM. Mtogozisi? Mtogozisi, Mjali. Thank you, sir. Oh, yes. No, I want just to correct one thing. You know, people, they must know uh, ANC has never liberated the people of South Africa. It was... Um, the democracy or the order in which we are today, it was a negotiated segment. A negotiated segment. The only advantage that we can attribute to ANC is that they were talking with the ANC whilst the apartheid government was in talk, was, uh, was still in power. Are you still with me there? Yes. Yes. So the order, the ANC why ANC happened to be uh, in power, it's because uh, the British, American, they were sure that the next boy, the next boy or the next gatekeeper 
the good boy will be the ANC. I'll tell you. Yes. They, 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 they themselves, they, they engineered the ANC to take over, to take over from the National Party because they know that one thing, ANC does not have what? Do not have skills, do not have knowledge, and does not have uh, uh, information. Information is research. We understand, which is why ANC is in power today. I'm telling you, my man, if ANC tomorrow can lose elections, I mean, Britain and, and USA will advise ANC to dispute the outcome of the, of the, of the elections. If the DA, DA may take over tomorrow, I'm telling you, my man, it won't be good news to the uh, Britain. Why? You know, where do you buy your groceries? from pick and pay, then DA have got people who have got skills, information, they will produce what they, 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 they pick and pay is selling. They will produce what your shop right checkers is selling. We get they the gist of your comments. Thank you so much. Yes. In Eshowe, we've got Ndabende from Etswane. Mtlegazi, good evening. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. We yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Coming to this issue of why African leaders end up appearing to be at the service of uh, the, ex- the colonizers, it's simple. It's lack of national consciousness. Actually, it's left lack of group consciousness as black people in general. Because what is actually happening, the, the, the people who came to have liberated us, they, during the liberation time, they discovered how luxurious the people in power were living. So all of this, they, they turned the mission of liberation to taking over power and basically going to the shoes of the colonizers doing exactly the same thing, even doing worse. Like, for example, take examples where you find that when people are protesting, during colonizing you could be taken to prison. But now you find countries where people are protesting, people are tortured in the streets in public, doing worse than the colonizers were doing. So they just inherited the power for just individualistic interests, not national interests at all. That's the main problem. Final thoughts. Thank you so much from Ndabenda in Etswane. Final caller for this evening, unless something really dramatic happens, we're taking Olani from Kwanongoma. Uh-oh. Uh, no, I'm, I can't complain. Are your thoughts? No, the job is fine. No. The job is fine. It's made better by people like you who call and support us. Thoroughly appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. No, basically, I was uh, just trying to weigh in on the on the on the big question of the day as to will ever the colonizers leave Africa? Uh, for me, I feel they will never leave. If you if you just if you permit me, uh, at first they came to Africa and they took our forefathers to enslave them. Then, as we thought they were done with the human capital part of colonization. They came to Africa, then colonized us uh, with an interest on, uh, of our resources. Uh, and now we are being faced uh, by the recolonization of Africa. So trust me not, they will never leave. They will never leave. Thank you. The, 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 the biggest contributor to this, as the Dr. Mustafa was saying, that our, our leaders, our liberation leaders, they, they think they are a monopoly of wisdom. So immediately they, they just feel like we, we their countries owes them. They say they they sit in the presidential seat uh, in such a way that they, they are being ousted by 
the militaries they did in Zimbabwe as they are doing in, in, in Sudan. That's the case about African politics. Our leaders are greedy. Our leaders, they think they are a monopoly of wisdom. Thank you. That's Kolani in KZN Kwanongoma. These are some serious indictments on leaders generally of Africa because I dare say that the sentiments that have been expressed, particularly the last three callers, our dear guest Dr. Mustafa Mehta, are the sentiment that is widely shared among the communities of Africa. One, we have been failed by our leaders who have been captured. Here's Nazim Khrodbom saying, they will never leave Africa because we have allowed them to stay too long and our politicians have been captured by them in many ways. Africa is a capital to capitalists. They are nothing without it. Granted, the resources are there for Africa, but the human resource needed to take Africa out of this quagmire is wholly absent. At a political level, most certainly, is what the overriding thesis has been. Your comments on that? Very true. You know, my brother, one can see the frustrations of our people, especially, you know, having listened to the three callers. Our people are tired. They are frustrated. This is not even the, 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 the mantra that we used to hear during the liberation war for some of us here in Southern Africa. Um, this is not what we used to hear. And uh, people expected much, much better that our lives today after 30, 40, 50 years of liberation, uh, we expected our lives to be to be much, much better. But it seems like, you know, from Cape Town to Cairo, the ruling elite on our continent are a cabal that protects one another. The people on the continent have been abandoned and are on their own. Definitely. But my concern is with all of this, there doesn't seem to be, whilst there is an appreciation on the ground that this is what's happening, is there sufficient agitation and civic movements in that regard to try and stymie the shortcomings of our politicians who are our leaders and our lobbyists internationally with these colonizers? Is there sufficient agitation on the ground from the people to try and arrest this for what it deserves? There isn't much because most of even most of the you know the 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 civic organizations that should be doing that job, okay, are from the West. The, the so-called NGOs. Yes, the so-called NGOs are from the West. They have a particular agenda, you know. So we are on our own. What we need is to organize ourselves. Yes, like you're saying, you know, in. Uh, uh, creating our own uh, civic platforms so that we can articulate these things from an African perspective. You, you know, you, you can't wait, you know, for someone coming from uh, elsewhere to come and teach us, you know, how to, 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 to fight, you know, for our, our rights. We fought colonialism by ourselves. Yes, of course, with the help of other friendly countries. And we defeated colonialism at that time. Of course, at least I thought we did. But when you look around now, it doesn't look like we did in, 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 in reality. Colonialism, you know, just transformed itself 
it's this demon, you know, that just transformed itself and 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 and, and, and manifested, you know, itself within the, the 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 our own household, you know. So it becomes very difficult, you know, in in, in that sense. Let's talk about international geopolitics. What has happened in Africa, what is happening in Africa, is what happened in South America, particularly with the Mayan nation, completely decimating its institutions and livelihoods and everything that gave it expression at an indigenous level, replaced it with the Spanish culture, the European culture and aspects of what is now largely Latin America. We are seeing it happen again in Venezuela with the U.S., and to that extent, one has to, notwithstanding the fact that it probably has its own interests, but Russia offering a tonic for what is happening, certainly in Venezuela, and in other parts where America has an expressed geopolitical interest. If you look at the situation, for instance, in um, the capital, Damascus, in Syria, this template of colonialism is not just limited to the African interest, but rather international for as long as there's an opportunity to leverage for the Western powers, America in this case in Venezuela, they'll be sure to go. Yeah. No, that's very true. I, I, I agree with your assessment, brother. You know. Um, now, let's, let's talk about, on the agreement of that assessment, let's talk about the value it might be an unintended consequence, but it nonetheless becomes a value of how having at Security Council, for instance, Russia and China oftentimes tending to vote as a block against the traditional Western powers and offering, if you like, the counterbalance to the threat that the Americans pose to the stability of the world, to the stability of Africa, to the stability of the Middle East, to the stability of Venezuela now. How important are countries like Russia and China to all of this? Notwithstanding the fact that they themselves have agenda of their own. Yes. You know, uh, you don't need to be, a, to be a rocket scientist to join these dots and ask the question, uh, why is it that instability on in our continent seems to be concentrated in highly resourced areas? The answer is very simple. To all these, you know, uh, uh, powers that you've mentioned, Africa has since, you know, long been considered as a lucky deep hole of resources. By particular, the Western countries, uh, we have now been joined, you know, by Russia and China in exploiting our continent's resources. So yes, they vote for their interests. Their interests. If it is in the Security Council, the vote that goes on there is uh, uh, for their interests. Each each one of them. And sometimes they do give each other chances. You can go and invade uh, another country and annex it, and uh, they won't say much, you know. Maybe slap you with a few sanctions, etc., etc. And the next time, you know. The other one will say, no, it's my chance now, you know, they are my, they, I, I have interest there, and, 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 and the other, the other, the others you know, will look the other way. Prospectively so this speaking. Is, this is the predicament that we find ourselves in. Prospectively speaking, whilst we might lament what we see now, for instance, I happen to come across some serious documentation involving the DRC, the Congo, which is, by most accounts, the most well-endowed, naturally well-endowed country on the African continent, although it is landlocked. And the Chinese and their interests there are obscene. But which is more, the conditions they attach to what they call loans, 
knowing very well that these countries have not the capacity to repay those loans. For instance, they have taken over a port in Bangladesh. The same has happened in, in a West African state, and the, the name now disappears. And with their construction projects now in the DRC, against the security of the copper deposits and uranium deposits, what doom does this spell? Not necessarily now, but in 2030 or two or three generations later from today, when you and I are in... In, in in the latter stages of our lives and when our grandchildren are where you and I are now, what does it do for them? The future doesn't look bright at all unless, you know, something changes on the ground. And that change should come from Africa, not from outside. We should get, out, you know, get away from this uh, 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 system of saying, you know, Someone is going to come from outside, and, and then we are given a prescription of written, you know, instructions how to run ourselves, how to, you know, prosper, how to. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's very true what you're saying, you know, and it's sad actually if you look at it, and uh, it seems like there is no way out of it, but I know there is a way out of it. We will have to figure that way out soon. But nonetheless, I appreciate your thoughts on this, the African narrative with us on SAFM Viewpoint. You have been listening to Songa Zomabek and our last speaker, whose voice you've just heard right now is Dr. Mustafa Mehta, head of Africa Desk at Media Review Network. Thank you so much to all our guests and more importantly to all of you who at home who have been listening. This has been a great time. Now it's time for the paper.